The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or opinion. However, we do have one free bit of legal advice for you, which is... Call a lawyer. Seriously, call a lawyer. If you need legal advice, call an actual lawyer and talk to them. It's that straightforward. Hello and welcome to Case Dismissed, a podcast that tries to make law fun. Or at the very least, less boring. I'm Karis Williams. I'm Tierney Green. We should probably introduce ourselves, this is our first episode. So I thought about this um, because I am doing a sort of law conversion course and I thought, the number of legal cases that you read where you're like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) When the actual facts of the case are just... Bonkers? So ridiculous but it's it's funny and i started telling you about them and we were saying that this would make a really good podcast and i just assumed that someone else would have done it first but luckily no one has so we're gonna get in quick now before anyone else comes along and steals this brilliant idea and then does it better and then we're sat there like oh they're just so much better than me. <laughs> isn't there a law against that yeah there should be like if i get into um because i'm not a qualified lawyer as yet so if I do get into that and eventually become a judge, which is one of the things I would like to do, um, then I will be starting to like wrangle cases. So like doing things better than me is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the whole basis on which this podcast came out, really, isn't it, Tony? Frankly, the whole basis of our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you be better than us? <laughs> How dare you? It's a healthy basis for a bond, I think. Exactly. So um, I think to kind of introduce what we're going to be talking about, I'm going to give like a bit of context. So um, this is obviously going to be mostly um, English and Welsh law. Why did I say English and Welsh? Well, because um, Scottish law separated at one point um, from the rest of the UK. So the case I'm going to talk about today. Also, at this point, I feel it's quite important to interject Tony and say I am Welsh. So, you know. And I am English, so... I yeah, think so, so I, I think that's the most important thing. Here. Yeah, and the fact that we are a united front on this. Like, it's, our, <laughs> it's, it's just our law. Like, we couldn't have a Scottish person here because, obviously, no. like, it's not their law, it's our law. Especially um, not post-Brexit. <laughs> let's, not even, let's not even go there with Brexit. Because <laughs> then, then this entire podcast is going to be about Brexit and what we think, and it's just not going to uh... be... Okay, okay, let's not let's not even start. Yeah. I could I could hear you, I could hear your brain going, Oh, and it's just this, yeah. <laughs> Jake um, Reese Mark, enough said. So Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Anyway, um <laughs> So the podcast. It is a podcast. Um that is not about Brexit, because that would just be three hours of us yelling into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, English and Welsh law. Um, although not all the cases I've found are going to be from English and Welsh law, because of course the richest and most fertile soil for ridiculous cases is America. <laughs> Sorry, America. You surprised me, Tierney. Shockingly, I mean, you wouldn't have thought so. You would have thought Germany would have been like the number one hotspot, <laughs> but no, it's America. Sorry, Germany as well. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to be talking about cases, um, although there will be sort of segments 
talking about laws, uh, we'll get onto that later, but we are also going to have to bring in certain laws that have been passed. Um, but the reason that we're talking about legal cases is because that there are some really fun instances where cases get to court and the facts of the case are just ridiculous. So in the UK, we only really know about cases when they get to higher courts. And what I mean by that is that they go through the appeals process. So the higher courts starts with appeals courts and then it continues upwards. But the only way you can continue upwards is if you appeal. Um, And when you appeal, you have to have grounds for the appeal, which is why the reason that a lot of cases get to higher courts is because there was not a specific law that, that foresaw the very specific circumstances that then come in and then a case gets to court because it's like, well, is this illegal or is it not? Because it's in this kind of grey area. Okay. In a lot of cases, it's a grey area and then a legal case comes in that will clarify that grey area and you can kind of apply it, depending on how they've phrased it, you can apply it quite broadly or you can make it very narrow in these specific circumstances. This thing happened and blah, blah, blah. So, um... For example, there is the case of Smith and Hughes. So this is two women who, I think I've told you about this one before, actually. Two women, they are soliciting sex, which is illegal. So for those of you who don't know what that means, that's they are selling sex. The law said you can't do that on the street. So one of them stood on the balcony of their house and the other one shouted from the bedroom window, <laughs> which technically was not illegal. Wow. Because in the letter of the law, it didn't say you also can't shout from your bedroom window to the street. The letter of the law said that they hadn't actually done anything wrong. So I don't know which way around it was. Either the police appealed when they weren't convicted or they appealed when they were convicted. Um, And the judge eventually, I think it got all the way to, it got got pretty far um, up in the legal system through all the appeal system. Um, Basically, the judge said, okay, in the letter of the law, no, you didn't do anything wrong. The spirit of the law, however. <laughs> so the idea of the letter and the spirit. So the letter would be, well, no, they didn't do anything illegal. They could just go. Whereas the spirit of the law is, okay, what was this law actually trying to do? And did, uh... they, contravene, did they contravene what that law was trying to do? Which, you know, they, they did. Although I feel like it should have been, okay, everyone else after these two... Um, they get convicted, whereas you two can get away with it because that is just badass that you knew that. <laughs> and, you yeah. <laughs> and also hilarious. And it is, and it's um that's why um one of my my criminal law professor would talk about it all the time because it's really funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> like the full facts of the case were not that interesting, but like, the short version is like it's really funny. Yeah, and it definitely sounds like the start of I don't know Quentin Tarantino or Baz Luhrmann film. Exactly. Where it's like, well, I mean, was she a prostitute? Well, no, because she never got convicted. Because technically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing, I feel, if you have to use the phrase "technically yeah. not a prostitute," then you know, you know that that's the letter of the law you're following there, isn't it? Yeah, I think if they, if you have to use the word "technically," <laughs> technically not a prostitute. Yeah. So um, there's also a fun fact. Um, there is a standard joke amongst all your professors, which is um, your standard lawyer's answer when someone asks a question is, well, it depends. <laughs> because like, cause it, cause if you think about it, it's always true. So like, is murder illegal? You would think that you would say, yes, actually, no, it depends. Because there are defences to it that can 
get you off a charge. So, because when you're saying is it illegal, what you mean is if I kill someone, am I going to go to prison? That's what that means. So you can commit essentially a murder, or you can kill someone, and there are circumstances under which that that's legally permissible. Ah, because there are defenses like so, you know, like self defense and. So asking for a friend, you know, <laughs> like not me specifically. Which which circumstances? Are... <laughs> Would that be right? And just just to go back to this kind of post-Brexit world discussion, when we descend into mass Armageddon. Well, I actually have um, I have a case that I'm going to do in another episode um, that is going to deal with some of that. So I'm just going to leave that be for now, and like tam- I'm going to tease that. Ooh, a little bit. Just to be clear, the tease is not we're going to tell everyone circumstances in which they can kill people, though, right? Yeah. Uh, no, that's exactly what we're going to do. Here are all the excuses. You can just... No, of course that's not. Sarcasm. <laughs> For when this recording is played in court. I feel here here is an example where people have to go with the spirit of what we're trying to say to yeah. them. Not the letter. Yeah. So no, when this is played in court, I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is my uh, the moment where we're covering ourselves. Um, so <laughs> you may notice when I said the name of that case was Smith and Hughes. Yes. When it's written down, it's written Smith v. Hughes. Uh. Why we say and, I don't actually know. What I do know is that there are judges who will pretend they haven't heard you and make you repeat it until you get it right um, if you say it wrong in court. Oh, so if you said Smith v. Hughes, you might you might get a stony face from the judge. I'm sorry, what did you say? Smith, Smith v. Hughes. I'm sorry, what? Which is passive-aggressive and pedantic and... Um, so yeah there's that also what cases i'm going to be talking about in the uk um these are not going to be the lower court cases so if you initially go to court for something you're probably going to be going to sort of magistrate's court or something along those lines i don't have access to the records because we don't keep records for every single case that goes through all the lower courts wait what as in, we don't publish records. I should, I should let me rephrase that. We don't publish records oh. for cases that go through the lower courts because lower courts can't make what we would call common law. Right. Um, they have to just follow what another judge has said. So what will have happened when the Smith and Hughes case came up? They will have either said, well, they were still soliciting and it was still partly on the street, so fine. Or they will probably have said, um, actually, we can't we can't rule on that. So there's, no, there's not done anything illegal because the Act doesn't expressly forbid it. And if it's not in previous case law, then they haven't got the power to convict. So that's why it then has to get appealed. And then the appeals court can create common law. But um, essentially, if it gets all the way to what we now call the Supreme Court, used to be called the House of Lords, it's now the Supreme Court in the UK. That sounds a bit American. Yeah, well, they've renamed it. <laughs> if it gets to the Supreme Court, they have the final word. The only thing that can overrule Supreme Court judgments is another Supreme Court judgment later, so like, they can overrule themselves. Okay. Uh, which, I, which I think they have, they have done that. Um, uh, also, the other thing that would overrule it would be if an Act of Parliament is passed. So, like, for example, in this Smith and Hughes case, if they'd said, nope, totally legal, they, they clearly uh, got around it, fine, um, and they then... <laughs> then Parliament go, okay, that's not what we want. They can then go and edit. Or if they don't like the way that common law is going in general, they can just create a law and then they, the common law is overridden. Okay. Automatically, because Parliament is supreme. So Parliament create the laws and the courts carry them out? Yeah, and they also can interpret it. So if there's not something very expressly forbidden, 
in an act but is kind of getting at what the act was trying to go for then the common law steps in and sort of clarifies in these very specific circumstances or it's also can it can define the meaning of a word oh. so there's something that's called the like the Wensbury unreasonableness test which essentially defines what is a decision taken by a public body at what point is that unreasonable what does unreasonable actually mean they then have this case and then they define, okay, this is what unreasonableness actually means in this context. So Ooh. that's why it... Do you know why I remember the Wensbury Unreasonable Test? Because it's about a cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, as we know, Tierney, you used to work in a cinema and you loved it. It was the best job I've ever had. Yeah, every day on the phone to me about how much you miss it. Yeah, um, customer service, retail, best jobs ever. Oh, yeah. And that's why I decided to become a lawyer, was so that I can go back. Yeah. I mean, that's the plan once you qualify, right? Yeah, I'm just going to go straight back to my law job. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so Wensbury Unreasonableness, that is the concept of what is unreasonable um, in a decision. So that's a fun fact for you there. Who is Wensbury? I'm intrigued now. It's a place. Oh. It's the Wensbury Corporation, which was the name for basically the local council. And they, at the time, because it was right after the Second World War, um, it was like the local army general decided who got licences to open, and they basically permitted the cinema to open on Sundays and sell tickets, which was, because it was on a Sunday and nothing opened on a Sunday at the time, you had to get this permission. And they got it, but the caveat was you can't sell tickets to anybody under the age of 15, no matter what the film is. Oh. Um, and so it went to court to decide was that an unreasonable decision or not. It was actually decided, no, that wasn't an unreasonable decision. And then it created the test for them to say, well, what is an unreasonable decision? Does it fit with this uh. definition? Which I won't get into because it's a bit like wrong. But So yeah, so sometimes you can lose a case, but then the loss of the case is still going to be foundational. People will still talk about if you've lost or if you've won. Like The, the outcome doesn't necessarily dictate whether it you know, if it's like the Crown, for example, take prosecuting somebody for a crime, the Crown doesn't necessarily have to have won for it to become case law that we then use. Oh, so they could lose and it could still become a law. Yeah. And in fact, then we can then say, um, case law can essentially say, the Crown has lost and we're now going to make it so you can't bring cases like this again because we've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because we've now said, nope, this is fine, legal. That would be a case of, I fought the law and the law lost, but still enacted it in case law for future reference. Exactly. Well, the law is a concept one. <laughs> the law is like a personification. <laughs> was the one that lost. Mm, interesting. So, would you like to hear about the, the case that is every UK law student's absolute favourite because it's really weird and everyone remembers it because it's so weird? Tierney, I would like nothing more. I'm so glad because otherwise we're going to have to turn off and that'll be the end of the podcast. <laughs> so I am going to give you the extremely boring legal jargon way that we can talk about it. Um, a lot of this is taken from the Wikipedia because a lot of the Wikipedia for um, legal cases is the dry, boring legal jargon way of talking about it when actually you could have made this way more interesting. So oh. some argue that this case established the principle of negligence in UK law so for me personally, I think it started the process in that direction. I don't think it's actually completely foundational. So before this point, you didn't have any kind of concept of negligence as such. Okay. So the direct quote from the Wikipedia, the decision in Donahue and Stevenson, 
just another case. Mm-hmm. Uh, fundamentally created a new type of liability in law, which did not depend upon any previously recognised category of tortious claims. This was an evolutionary step in the common law for tort and delict or delict. Not sure that's Latin. Uh, moving from strict liability based upon direct physical contact to a fault-based system, which only required injury. Oh well, I mean, I'm so glad we brought this up, Tony. Edge of your seat, right? You're on the absolute edge of your seat to see what I'm going to say and how this is going to go. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I want to hear all about that den- denlict. It, it's because it says de- delict. And I was thinking, is it delict or delict? Because delict sounds... Delict, I think. Yeah, well, delict just sounds a bit dewy. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kind of want it to be delict. Well, now you've made it sound way more interesting. Unfortunately. Well, let, let's talk about what actually happened to bring about this case. It, because it's such an important one, the fact that these are the facts is, is mind-blowing to me. So, picture this. It is August the 26th, 1928. Ooh. I'm assuming it's a beautiful summer's day. I couldn't find any evidence, but based on what, what then happens, I'm assuming it is. Mrs. Donoghue took the train from Glasgow to Paisley. And then she went to the Well Meadow Cafe with her friend. Her friend orders. She asks for a pear and ice for herself. And then something, I didn't write down the actual name of it, but it was basically an ice cream float made with ice cream and ginger beer for Mrs. Donoghue. Ooh. Which sounded really good. I might actually try and make that. That sounds good. <laughs> if, this, if we carry on with this podcast long enough, we could do cocktails for <laughs> case dismissed. The <laughs> <laughs> first one's going to be the... Maybe we should end with a legal-themed cocktail every week. That would be fun. So this week it will be ginger beer ice cream floats. Mm. So the bottle was left on the table for her to top it up because it was a big bottle of ginger beer and she could kind of add more as she wanted it later. So the bottle was opaque, which is shortly going to become <laughs> quite relevant. Ooh. So she drank some of this ice cream float, but then... When her friend poured the rest of the ginger beer into her glass, a partially decomposed snail spilled forth from the bottle, which is super gross, right? Mrs. Donoghue then said that she felt ill when seeing it and she started experiencing abdominal pain. Understandably. Well, yeah, to be fair, I I did when I read it and I wasn't even there. Yeah, and partially decomposed snail is my least favourite kind of snail, so... Yeah, I mean, if you were going to have a regular snail, if it was like a live snail, that would be less disgusting, of course. Exactly. Um, but partially decomposed. I mean, that's just the the cherry on top of the, the snail ginger beer and ice cream sundae. <laughs> Maybe that will be the cocktail. It has to have a snail. <laughs> you have to put like a... Whether it's partially decomposed or not is, is like dealer's choice, but... Uh... <laughs> So yeah, yeah, um, according to later statements, she then had to see a doctor on the 29th of August, which is three days later, and then eventually she was admitted to Glasgow Royal Infirmary on the 16th of September, um, which is like more than two weeks afterwards. Oh. Not a doctor, but I feel like that's probably unrelated. Um, Yeah, I feel like Mrs. Donoghue's pushing it there a little bit. Well, she felt that all of this was due to the snail, so... They then had to look for who had actually made this ginger beer. So at the time, they did a system which was, you didn't like throw away the bottle like we do now in our extremely wasteful society. Mm-hmm. Um, they were taken away, they were washed and they were reused. So they looked at the, her, I think her friend either took down the information or she took the bottle. Like I'm not 100% sure which one it was, but she took down the information. And that was for a Mr. Stevenson, hence why the case is Donahue and Stevenson. Um, because his name was on the bottle, that would have meant that he will have washed it and then put ginger beer back in it um even if they didn't actually make the bottle oh. so in the april 
of the following year, her solicitor contacted Mr. Stevenson, manufacturer, asking for £50 in costs and £500 in damages, which is the 2018 equivalent of asking for something in the region of £30,000. That's a pretty expensive snail Sunday. That is a really expensive snail Sunday. Um, so... So FYI, sorry, my housemates are playing the guitar, so we, I think my microphone is picking up, but... Well, you are moving after this, Kate, after this uh, episode. Yes. Um, specifically, of course, for this podcast, because it was just too loud and... Oh yeah, solely. I mean, this is the kind of dedication that we have to Case Dismissed. Yeah, and then there's like, moving in with your boyfriend and blah blah blah. Those were like, secondary considerations. Well, you know, <laughs> exactly. Right, so anyway, um, part of the reason that this case is so fundamental is because of some specific points which became relevant at the point of going to court. So essentially, because Mrs. Donoghue was not the direct purchaser of the ginger beer, it was her friend who was buying it because her friend ordered, and I think her friend must have paid when she was experiencing abdominal pain, because obviously, if it were me, I would just be too distressed to pay. Yes. Why they paid for it at all, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's the one time where it's like, comp them the ginger beer. Like, have it for free. Um, well, that's your, your cinema customer service expertise coming through right there, Tony. It, it is indeed. Like, give them the free the free ginger beer because there was a snail in it. And then you all run around panicking because there's a snail in this ginger beer. <laughs> that's, what, that's what generally would happen. Um, so she was not the direct purchaser of the ginger beer. So under the law at the time, it meant that she just had no case because there was no contract between her and the either the cafe or the manufacturer. Oh. And there'd also been a very, very similar case. And if you think the snail is bad, (laughs) right, Um, directly before this, it was also in Scotland. Um, Her solicitor had actually been the solicitor in that case. And this one was against AG Bar, which for those of you thinking, I've heard of that, they are most famous for making iron brew. Oh. It also involved ginger beer. But what happened was three different children in the same family, found dead mice in their ginger beer. Oh. And they lost. I don't think ginger beer is worth it, Tony. Yeah, I feel like this is just, there's a ginger beer related problem going on at yeah. this point. But yeah, those, the, the family, um, in that case, obviously they sued because their children had drunk dead mice. Um, and the case was dismissed because of the same problem that Mrs. Donahue had. The judges held that there was no legal relationship between the manufacturer of a beverage and the eventual consumer of said beverage. They said that the only way you could bring a case was under the following circumstances. Uh-huh. One, if there was direct contact between the manufacturer and consumer, so that would be, they can't be the cafes, the intermediaries, my understanding is that. Or two, the manufacturer was aware that the product was dangerous because of a defect and they failed to inform the consumer. So like, if they knew that dead mice were getting, or dead snails were getting into their drinks and still did nothing about it. Or three, the product was inherently dangerous, but they failed to inform the consumer. Oh. Which I think ginger beer does not fall under that third category under any circumstances. No, not really. So the two main differences between the AG Bar case and Donahue and Stevenson is that Mrs. Donahue took her case as far as it would go. She appealed all the way to what was then the House of Lords. Which is now the Supreme Court, as we learned earlier. Which is now the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, well done. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> we are we are we are gonna gonna keep track of how well I'm doing throughout this, right? There's some kind of sticker reward system at the end, I'm expecting. Yeah, and then a certain number of stickers can be exchanged for a legal degree, because that's how it works. <laughs> Like, I have, I have quite a lot of um, stickers. I've got even more <laughs> shaped, shaped like a little gavel. Um, one, that, one that looks like a wig. Anyway, um, 
So the other reason, the other difference, um, is that she could not inspect the contents of the bottle before she drank from it because it was an opaque bottle, like I said earlier. See how I'm calling back to that? Uh... The professionals here know what we're doing. That was why the case was allowed rather than, I think, because she couldn't check for snails, which is, of course, what you do when you first buy a drink. That That is a pretty, pretty poor product design there. Yeah, can't expect for snails. I mean... Well, what were they thinking? If you think about it, most most drinks now are in clear plastic bottles. This is a very good point. Other than beer, maybe? Beer's the only thing I can think that doesn't really come in a clear bottle. Yeah, but you can at least still vaguely see through some of those bottles. Like, this is true. There's nothing that's 100% opaque, I don't really think. I can th- no. Actually, no, that's true. Some of them do come in black ones. On the kind of opaque to transparent snail, uh, transparent scale, transparent snail. Oh, I don't know what I was going to say there. The point is, you can see snails. Also, I think t- times are different now. <laughs> <laughs> so what? why did she go to court? What was she actually claiming? She was obviously claiming... Money? Well, uh, that's not that's not a legal claim. You can't come up and go, oh. what are you claiming? Money. No, no. It's in like, oh. what are you, why, are you do, why do you feel you deserve the money is what, I'm, is what that means. Tani, you're smashing my, my preconceptions of the legal system right now. And that's what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> that's why we're doing this. Um, she was obviously claiming injury. So she felt that the dead snail hidden in her ginger beer had made her sick. Lurking. Lurking. That's what they should have put. The dead snail lurking in her ginger beer had made her sick. Mm-hmm. So her statement of facts, I'm just going to talk about this for a second because this is just so funny. Um when I read these, I'm thinking about the lawyer who had prepared them, who was probably sat... If it was me, I'd be sat there thinking, I had to do so many years of training just to get this job. Like, I have worked so hard to be here. So she claimed that Mr. Stevenson had a specific duty of care. No, actually, no, that's not what I put. Mr. Stevenson had a duty of care specifically to make sure that snails did not get into his ginger beer. So not... He had a duty of care to make sure that there was nothing in his drinks. Specifically, to make sure <laughs> that snails did not get in. So, if a slug had got in, that that would no problem, no problem at all. Yeah, that probably would. Have, to be fair, that probably would have decomposed all the way, and she'd never have known. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's just a horrifying thought, isn't it? Really. Um, more. That sounds like a Daily Mail headline too. <laughs> How many slugs are lurking in your children's ginger beer? <laughs> No, I thought it would be slugs and ginger beer cause cancer, but that's not Oh, yeah. <laughs> More broadly, she probably meant that like, they should have been cleaning the bottles better because at the time they just washed the bottles and then reused them, which is obviously more environmentally friendly. And I think they do that in Germany, don't they? Oh, I'll take your word for it. I know, I just heard because I'm thinking of introducing a system like that here where you could basically return your bottles and they can be uh, washed and then reused. Um, well, you see that with milk bottles. Exactly. There's no real reason we shouldn't do it. We're just a plastic obsessed yeah. society and we create loads of waste. So, um, apparently, and I'm going to quote this here uh, because it is so ridiculous. The, the bottles were left in places to which it was obvious that snails had freedom of access. <laughs> and in which, indeed, snails at snail trails were frequently found. Oh, that was well. that's what they said in court. That's what her solicitor had to say in court. <laughs> snails were frequently snails and snail. Trails. I mean, you know, that's the the peak of your legal career, right? Exactly. Where you sat there, like I went to law school for this. Like I trained <laughs> to trained for many years to gain the kind of expertise that says 
snails can get in bottles. And snail trails were frequently found in the area where the bottles were stored. Well, it's that kind of close, incisive detective work that I'm sure really makes a lawyer. Exactly, like that would be. Yeah, this is what I always think about when I'm thinking about these illegal cases. I'm like, somebody was, somebody was paid not an insignificant amount of money to sit and think of legal arguments. Like snails having freedom of access to the area where the bottles were stored was what they could come up with. I'm just, anyway. I'm not too worried about like being sued for this case, just because everyone involved is definitely dead. <laughs> so I'm like, we're we're, we're on yeah, they now. all died of decomposing snail poisoning. Yeah. No laughing matter. Poisoned by snails. So, Mr. Stevenson, for his part, said that her alleged injuries were grossly exaggerated. They couldn't even prove <laughs> that you, you must prove that there was a snail in her ginger beer and this could not be done. Um, he didn't even make bottles like the ones described, which they proved that was true. He didn't manufacture Ooh. that type of bottle, but his information was on it. So, there's no, there's no actual way to know if the snail got in the ginger beer from his place anyway or maybe maybe the snails were making them themselves maybe that's what it is i reckon that maybe we've we've tracked this conspiracy right to the bottom we've cracked it 90 years later it's that's what it is. <laughs> um but no it was just because his information was on it which does imply he was the last person to bottle on it because you would remove the previous manufacturer's information but yours surely if you want people to know yours is the best one that makes sense one would have thought but um, he also said he hadn't caused her any injuries and she was asking for too much money, which was probably true, let's be honest. Mm. So he, she took she took him to court just because it was his company's information on the bottle, but there was no actual way to prove that it came from his factory. Oh. So the judgment was very, very close in the end. So there were, five, there were five judges and they've got to come to a majority agreement. So it was three to two, but Mrs. Donoghue and her snail emerged victorious. So it's pretty much the first case that most of us learn about in contract law, um, it, but it's particularly relevant to contract and tort law, especially because it's the first. It's seen as the first time the two of them became separate things. Ah. Um, and it's also, um, even though this took place in Scotland, Scottish law is now separate, but everything that came before they separated, and don't ask me when it was because I don't know, but um, it counts in both. Oh, and when did they? When did they separate? Thanks, guys. <laughs> Making me look like an idiot. <laughs> I, I have to assume it would be when devolution came about. Um, I don't actually know. I will look that up and I will tell you next time when English and Welsh law separated from Scottish law. Oh, oh, that's a teaser. When did Scottish and English and Welsh law separate? Exactly. You have to tune in next time, folks. So, um, contract and tort law are now sort of seen as separate things. At one point, they weren't. Um, sometimes areas of law merge together other times they kind of separate because they become sort of more relevant and more more and more people now enter into contracts and tort has also become more common tort law is essentially like this um, you don't have a direct contract with the person but they still owe you some sort of duty of care so like medical negligence falls under tort law oh okay interesting the, probably one of my favourite things about this case We can't actually be sure that there even was a snail in her drink. (laughs) So it is Schrodinger's snail. Uh, It both exists and does not exist. Um, We actually literally just... We have to assume that she's telling the truth, but there's no way to prove it. Oh. So a significant thing about English law could have been brought about by a non-existent snail. That she's made up to then, Susan. Which seems like a very strange thing for someone to do. But people are strange. People are weird. People are weird. Yeah. Not like us. We're perfectly normal. 
Yeah, well, we're normal, but everyone else is weird. That's hence why, because we're the normal ones. That's why everyone else is weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Hmm. So that's, that is Donahue and Stevenson, better known usually as the snail and the ginger beer. <laughs> <laughs> For, I think, fairly obvious reasons, because I don't know how many times I've said the words snail and ginger beer in the last few minutes. But yeah, those are now inextricably linked for me. I don't think I'm going to be able to drink ginger beer or conversely look at snails. Or maybe snails just look very tasty now. I don't know which way that's going to go. Well, given that you're a vegetarian, I'm assuming it's not going to be the last <laughs> Yeah, but I'm also a big fan of ginger beer, so... Well, I do actually have actually eaten snails a few times. They're quite... Um, the, the Portuguese ones, um, they're, they're quite small and they cook them in like a crap ton of garlic, so it's yummy. Mm, I'll, I'll leave the snails for you. I'll have the ginger beer. You can have the ginger beer, I'll, I'll eat the snail. <laughs> from, from the ice cream float that we'll make in our new cocktail series. Yep. Oh yeah, I feel this idea has legs. What would what would we call our cocktail series? Oh. Oh. I can't do punning on the spot. It's got to be a pun. Yeah, it's got to be a pun. Uh, so send your ideas to casedismisspodcast at gmail.com <laughs> if you have any fun puns on what we should call our cocktail series. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so on that note it's actually related and I didn't even mean it to be this is oh, so great sweet. We, we were thinking our final segment of this podcast is going to be you know those things that circulate when you're at school like oh it's illegal to do this in this place or between this time and this time yeah. or you're allowed that. to like kill a Scotsman with a bow and arrow on a Sunday if you're holding an apple yeah, that kind of thing, um, which I will find out if that's true or not, and I'll use that in a future episode, which I'm going to go with probably not. Yeah, and I'd like to say this is not encouraging people to kill Scotsmen. That won't go well for you. No, because that's, uh, like, I've, I've kind of, I'm, I'm coming down on the side of I'm assuming that's probably not true, If it was, if it's, even if it was once true. I'm assuming yeah. that someone thought of that and has removed it from the statute books. One would hope. One would hope. So we will, um, I will propose the question this time and you will find out next time uh, whether it was true or false. So, true or false? In England, it is illegal to be drunk in the pub. <laughs> and no Googling it, Karis, because I want to know what you actually think. Oh. I want to know because I, I want to see next time. It's going to be hard. And I, I know it's going to be like... It's going to be a challenge. Ah. Uh, but I want you on Tenterhook. Do I, are we doing, do I have to guess, Tierney? Are we going to make me guess at the end and then prove how wrong I am next time? I feel like you should guess. Um, oh. And then we can see whether you're right or wrong. And like, maybe there can be some sort of fun game where at the end of a year or something, how many you've got right or I've got right or whatever. Oh. Do we see it as me winning if you get it wrong? I don't really feel like, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about we say it as me winning if I get it right, and if I get it wrong, then it's just a learning experience. I was going to say we could say you have to drink a gin, gin, ginger beer ice cream <laughs> a snail Sunday that may or may not contain a snail. <laughs> oh, um, oh, that's a tricky one because I know obviously being like drunk and disorderly is definitely a thing, yeah, an offence, right? So I'm not giving you any hints. That's one of those ones that sounds so ridiculous. I'm going to guess it's true. It is illegal to be drunk in a pub. That's my guess. Fantastic. Well, find out next time on Case Dismissed. I'm sure you all can't wait. And you should definitely... um, So for next time, watch out for snails. Watch out for snails, chaps. Bye.